0: was the opening music to The Virgin Spring released in 1960 by Janice Films and it was directed by Ingmar Bergman who is uh, one of my favorite directors although I haven't seen a lot of his movies the ones that I have seen I've really really enjoyed including this one so I'm excited to talk about this it inspired me to write what Bob described when he read it as a paper that you might write for a film studies class. (laughs) So that's going to be on the (laughs) website. That's going to be on the website and you can read my notes, which are a combination of my own notes and the notes from the commentary that the author of the novel, uh, Virgin spring, uh, had written. So she narrated the commentary on the, uh, alternate track of the dvd so anyway i'm matt johnson and uh, you're listening to classic movie reviews you can find us online at www.classicmoviereviews.net or in itunes just search for classic movie reviews and i think we're the top hit if you do that search so pretty easy to find and i'm recording from seattle This is a podcast about classic movies that I do with my dad.
1: And I'm uh, Matt Johnson's dad. I'm Bob Johnson here in Los Angeles. And this is our 41st uh, podcast, I think. 42nd. 42nd. You'd think as many times as we've looked at this, I could remember what the number is. (laughs) (laughs) And you can can find us uh, also on our... Or Facebook page by looking at Classic Movie Reviews. Did you mention our website? I did. Okay. Boy, I'm I'm in another world. <laughs> a little bit about the movie. It was distributed by Janice Films. Uh, Janice Films dis- made and distributed a host of movies that uh, didn't get the widest distribution in the United States, but made it on the uh, big city circuit and college circuit. Max van Saito is the uh lead in the movie.
0: I looked him up and he's still working. Not only is he still working but he is going to be in the new Star wars movie that's coming out this christmas so that's my interest was already uh off the charts but then when I found out he was going to be in the movie, it just sort of like pushed it over the edge <laughs> he, he, well, he, i I love
1: it he's eighty six years old and he's still active in the photos of him on the web pages that I, were, that I was looking at, he looks in great shape, like he's working out every day for five hours or something. I, I, it's impossible to know how, how uh, the box office for this film was because I can only find U.S. Uh, information on that. I think it was probably a bigger film in Europe. And the last bit of uh, information is it won the 1961 Academy Award as the best foreign language film of the year. Even though when it came out it was very controversial and it was banned in some locations in the U.S.
0: because of the violence. So it's it's quite an interesting movie. Ingmar Bergman wrote a letter to the film uh, board sort of in, imploring them not to censor it because he said that sometimes you have to go against taboos in order to make a point. The film was well received here in the United States but it was kind of panned both by audiences and critics in uh, Europe. And this movie came out at a time, sort of a transitionary time, uh, for, the, for the director, but also for sort of auteur filmmaking. Uh, this was the last of uh, Bergman's historical dramas. The other one that's pretty well known is The Seventh Seal. He went on to make a series of what are known as chamber films, which are films that are set in one location or just a small number of locations, and it's much more character drama. Uh, this film has a lot of outdoor scenery. Uh, I think the location shooting is pretty important, actually, to this film. It uh,
1: really is. I, was, I found it to be a beautiful black and white cinematography, and as I mentioned before we started the podcast, it's both a sim- simple film in terms of its production, and yet it's extremely complex in terms of the levels of storyline that are going on. And just an aside, since many of our ancestors came from Sweden in the late 1800s, I was really drawn into the film by the uh, farm that they lived on and and just that whole culture and ambiance of that that period. And I I, I could see that my great-great-grandparents might have been on a similar farm out in the forest in uh, in Sweden.
0: It really felt remote, didn't it? I mean, they had those it scenes did. where they showed the sort of the rolling hills of just non stop never ending forest.
1: When the two young women took off on their horses and they and you could see that that whole area it looked like it was hundreds of square miles of nothing but dense
0: forest. Yeah. It was amazing. It was really it was really really beautiful uh, even in the black and white. Or maybe even especially in the black and white. Do you think? Do you think
1: if it were in color, if it had been in Technicolor, it would have improved the film or
0: lessened its impact? Or one one of the things they talked about on the commentary was that uh, this was the last film that Bergman did where he had the high contrast black and white scenes, and uh, films after this had a lot more subtle gray tones and not a lot of deep. You know, dark blacks and, and bright whites, and I found the high contrast black and white to be really effective. It it gave it almost a, a painterly quality, almost, and it really complemented the acting of, I think, especially Max von Sydow. He, he looked almost like a statue in some scenes, like a Renaissance statue. He really
1: did, he really did, and there were some scenes where he was sitting in that great room that they had for their farm in that chair and he looked like he was
0: on a throne yeah that didn't that the the way they had that set up didn't it kind of look like jesus's last supper like that painting it did yeah (laughs) yeah i I hadn't thought of that
1: until just now but you're right uh
0: one of the things i thought about as i was watching the movie is that i think there's been a lot of movies subsequent to this that have a similar plot line and a, a lot of westerns but more recently uh the liam neeson film taken uh, is really similar to this in in that his daughter is kidnapped in that movie and, and sort of uh, taken away to go into a sex ring. And he takes his revenge out and ends up rescuing her. Uh, but the big difference there is that it really focuses more on his side of the story and his sort of revenge and less on kind of her loss of innocence. And I think this film really focuses more on what I what I think of as the three innocent people in the movie Karen, who was played by, uh, Bergita Pedersen, and Ingeri, who was played by Gunnell Lindblom, and the boy, uh, Ove Por- Porath, and I th- I think that the story we kind of see the story through their eyes in a lot of ways, and uh, the loss of their innocence uh, is what. To me, makes the film really powerful.
1: It it does, and uh, the uh, the daughter who is is raped and murdered could not have looked more like an angel. She was dressed in that beautiful uh, gown and that blonde hair, and even her horse had an angelic quality she, to it.
0: Yeah, she she reminded me of like a fairy tale princess almost. Yeah, and then her foster sister, uh, ingrid but she was more representative of the old Swedish values and, and the old religion and uh she worshipped Odin and at the beginning of the film she kind of uh invokes a curse or a you know a, a prayer to Odin that not come She kind of wants something bad to happen to Karen and there's quite a bit of tension between Ingrid and Karen and there's also quite a bit of tension between uh Marita and Tour uh who's the main character Mac- played by Max von Sydow because Marita is is a devout Christian and Tour is he's pray he's he prays and he He's Christian, but he also, I think, enjoys the, the old Odin, you know, the old worship of Odin, the old, old religion. And he's kind of torn between the two. And this uh, tension between the, the father and the mother is pretty important in the film as well, and the tension between the sisters.
1: Well, I, I, I found that, like I was saying earlier, even though the film, in, a men, in many ways, in the production of it, is pretty simple and not overly staged. The story has so many levels and complexities. the The daughter is is closer to her dad, which makes her mother jealous because she's not as close to her daughter as her father as as her husband is. And then the the foster girl and what what happened to her and how she was flirting at this dance. I mean, there's just an endless level levels of of uh, Complexity in the story—that on the surface, he's kind of they're living in a small, simple farm out in the wilderness, and all this is going on. It's—it's amazing.
0: And and yeah, Karen, uh, Karen is sort of this pure, chaste virgin figure, and Ingrid is is this wild sort of uh, what I thought of is she's she reminds me of a troll hag uh, from Nordic myth. She's as close to that as <laughs> as you could get and still, not be sort of into the realm of of magic and fairies. Um, Although the
1: film kind of goes
0: back and forth on that, it skirts the it skirts the border between that. It really does, uh, and I like that a lot about the movie. But there's other there's other characters on the farm as well. There's a beggar. Oh yes, there's a beggar who's there, and 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 he's been to the bigger, wider world. He talks at the beginning about having seen. These big stone churches with the uh, stained glass windows and.
2: And,
0: like
2: and, tree, and, 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 oh.
0: oh. and he's talking to Frida, who's a who's sort of like the house. uh, woman of the farm kind of takes care of things and cooks food and whatnot. And she is sort of enthralled by the beggar's descriptions of the church. So there's, you know, these other people on the farm besides the father and the mother and the two sisters.
1: And it looked really uh, true to probably what it was like. There are chickens kind of in the f- front part of the house. And you go out into this muddy courtyard and there's this enormous pig... I mean, it's it, it, it's just so realistic. You could
0: almost smell the farm
1: animals, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, you could, <laughs> especially when the chickens are right in your front door. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then they have a fire, an open fire going in the big great room, and it's only uh, vented through a kind of an open shutter vent in the roof. There's no chimney or anything like that.
0: No, it's very, very primitive. It could have been, I mean, this was set during medieval times, but... It uh, could have been even further back in history than that. It was very primitive, and it probably was consistently that way for hundreds of years. I, I wonder uh, how long it was before sort of mo- the modern world encroached upon farmhouses like that. You know, I oh, I would think it was probably not until the nineteenth century.
1: I would guess so. In, in, uh, in some parts of the world, it's. It might still be in like that. Many ways, many many ways like that. Um...
0: You know, if you were to describe this movie in a couple sentences, you would describe it as a story about uh, these two sisters that head out into the forest to deliver candles to the church, and you know something bad happens along the way, and the father ends up taking revenge for what happens to one of his daughters. I mean, that's that's like a 3 4 sentence synopsis of the movie but it totally sort of misses out on all the nuance and and what i find to be the really interesting things that 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 happen during during this uh these events there's just like you said layer upon layer of of interesting setup and plot details and tension between characters and interplay between the christian ideals and the the old you know nordic uh, religious ideas. It's just really complex and interesting. I'm not even sure how we can go about describing all that. But
1: Well, I was thinking maybe, and I haven't done this on my notes, but <clears throat> I could recall like a half a dozen favorite scenes and that might help me focus on this because it, it's so uh, complex a movie that it, it could take us into a lot of different areas. That's yeah. probably why you found it so uh, fun to write that narrative that you put together. There's just so much going on. But I'll I'll kick it off by starting with a few favorites of mine that we've already talked about, and that's the beautiful black-and-white photography or c- cinematography of the countryside, the realism of the farm and the farmhouses, everything about the place. They all look like they... Uh, you know maybe maybe bathed in that bathing room once a week or once a month or something like that were, <laughs> the uh i imagine the floor of the place was in was dirt i don't know that but, so those those are favorite scenes that get us to where we are kind of talking about the film as it progresses
0: well i would i guess i would start off by saying that i really appreciated the cinematography of the movie And to me it falls into two parts. The first part being basically the first sort of like hour of the movie where they're getting ready to go on their their journey and they're packing up and and you know they' they're heading out and they're actually on the, the journey. They're, they're riding their horses along a really beautiful lake, uh, headed up into the hills, you know through some wooded areas. And that was really beautifully done, and that was uh, sort of like a classic. Either you could either call it a Bergman, or maybe just a more broadly Swedish sort of auteur style. I mean, the camera's mm-hmm. stationary, the subjects are moving through the frame. You know, beautiful scenery. It's just very sort of idyllic uh, and and calm and peaceful. And then they get to the point where they get to that stream which is to me sort of the boundary uh both physically and metaphorically in the movie where they cross over into like sort of this other realm and the style of filmmaking changes dramatically where now now the camera is moving and it's tracking along with the characters and and it's it was uh pretty well known that Bergman was a big Akira Kurosawa fan and he really liked the movie uh, Rashomon and that's a very you know Kurosawa type of filmmaking uh style and he emulated it perfectly in the second half of the movie and and I just enjoyed watching that I I just regardless of the story I really enjoyed the cinematography
1: the way it was put together yeah I agree I, kind of that transition from the uh the beauty and and, uh, peacefulness of their journey when they run across that old cabin with the hermit uh, sort of also portends the change that's happening. And it took me a while to realize that I think that person and that cabin is meant to sort of symbolize the fact that they're going from a peaceful area into this dark, forbidding forest. And that guy was, uh, to say he was odd is an understatement (laughs) when he had that box of uh, (laughs) souvenirs.
0: Yeah, there was a finger. I I think there was an ear. There was a dead bat. Uh, I couldn't make out what some of the other things were, but they were like these uh, souvenirs of maybe sacrifices or dead animals that he'd had collected.
1: He was almost like the uh, evil princess or queen in... uh, Sleeping Beauty,
0: yeah, very the male uh, version of uh, that. Very mythic and fairy tale like. Yes, yes. Uh, I I like to imagine that he's sort of magical in the sense that he actually is the old Norse god Odin. And part of the mythology with Odin was that he gave up one of his eyes in order to have all you know supreme knowledge to be, be able to know everything and and be able to see. Uh, into the future and it was and if you notice that that hermit he one of his eyes was not right it looked like a glass yes. eye or it looked you know broken somehow uh, non-functioning and so you know he either is a, a worshiper of odin or i like to think of him as odin in a very weakened state where now he just sort of guards the boundary between two realms and he lives in this old hut like a hermit and uh it, it's sort of emphasized to me by the fact that they see those giant uh ravens, those black ravens. They see one as they approach the forest and they see one as they leave, and uh on the way back from the forest they don't see the old man. Like, no, like he's it, not there, like he's disappeared. It's
1: it's completely gone. This is what I was referencing earlier when I said the, the levels of complexity in the story. It's it it's there's so much more to it than than what I thought it was going to be before I watched it.
0: I'm I'm sitting here smiling because it it makes me happy when I get to watch a movie that I that I get to think about so much, and it just gets I know my, it gets my brain really uh, working on all these ideas.
1: I have to believe that when it was put together, all the people involved in it wanted it to have those levels of complexity. I think my next favorite scene is as she as 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 the daughter. I just forgot her
0: name. Karen or Ingrid Karen
1: no the the, the virginal da- real uh, biological da- Karen, Karen. she's riding along and, and and this foster daughter senses all of the badness that's going to happen in that forest and she doesn't want to go
2: with Men du rider med med en vagn för Ingrid vi ska inte i kyrkan Jag rider med to jag kan förklara för mäster Erik men varför skulle du rida med dem du skulle fara mor inte tycka om skogen är så svart
1: and so the young daughter takes off on her own into this forbidding forest, and you mentioned in your notes it was odd that they that the family would let the two of them go, and then all of a sudden she's on her own. It's like,
0: yeah, that was weird
1: goodness has has left the area and is entering this uh unknown forbidden place and before long she meets those three brothers
0: and and karen is so insistent that she is going to be fine And, and her insistence makes us as an audience realize that she's so childlike and naive because any anybody with common sense would know that that's not going to be a good idea, and that you shouldn't go through this dark, forbidding forest by yourself, you know. But she's like, no, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Even when she
1: meets up with the three brothers, she's still innocent and offers them some food, and you know, she goes some off friendship. with
0: them to sit in the the meadow and enjoy the sun. Yeah, it's it's very uh, naive, I guess is the best word for it
1: and those three brothers oh, it was
0: uh before they leave on their journey there's a scene when Karen is he's getting dressed and she's so excited to put on this beautiful gown that was sewn by 13 or i forget how many but 13 maidens you know had worked on this beautiful dress with all the embroidery her father comes in and is you can just sense that there's a special bond between the father and the daughter, and he picks her up and uh, says some really uh, loving things, and they, they laugh and.
2: Mor var sjuk, ska jag säga, och far var sjuk och frida var sjuk och väckt mig inte och ljusen var inte störpta och bläcken var inte skön. Nu riddar jag dig ellers <laughs> med en stiggarmen och säger att sådan dotter vill jag inte ha. Sätt in i bärget i fjol så hon blir stark. Sen kommer jag hem till henne. Kan.
0: I think it's important that we understand that Karen and her father do have that special bond and that it helps explain what he ends up doing at the end of the movie. Yeah. I,
1: I wouldn't call the scenes that I'm going to talk about next to be my favorites, but they're an integral part of the story when the uh, the two older brothers uh, start to, uh, I don't know what you'd say, make advances to Karen in the woods, in the forest. And she begins to realize that it's not as safe as she thought it would be. And that whole, the next section of the movie to me is one of the most traumatizing pieces of film I've seen because it's so what I would imagine it would be to to be raped, to have it handled that way, there's no music. There's hardly any sound at all, and the utter terror that she was going through—it's uh, it, unimaginable to me that, that that what that would be like. Or that I guess that's it, you know I, I, I don't want to call it a favorite scene, but it's probably the one of the best filmed events that I've seen,
0: even as ugly as it is. That, uh, yeah, that scene, even though it was filmed in 1959, carries as much power and weight as pretty much any piece of film that I've ever seen. And, And I was trying to understand or just think about why that particular scene was so powerful. Because... We've we've all been sort of desensitized, and and we're sort of almost used to scenes of violence against women on television, in movies, and in in real life. In real life, on the news, and but when I was watching that scene, I was so uncomfortable and so yes. just so. Uh, it was so difficult to get through that scene, and. I think exactly what she said. It was it was filmed in a very straightforward, matter of fact, almost documentary way, and it and after thinking about it, I thought that was probably the most realistic depiction of what that would have been like, that could have been filmed. And there was, like you said, no music. She basic she doesn't really make any sound during this uh, this rape, and when it's over, she stands up and she's like completely changed person she looks so shocked and so confused and this she she lets escape this sound which the commentator on the uh, track that I was listening to said it was sort of like the sound of a dog yelping that had been beaten or something like that Uh, it was a very animalistic sort of helpless sound and uh, she sort of stands up, makes that sound, kind of walking toward the camera, turns around, just so confused, walks away from the camera, and she doesn't even get ten feet before one of the brothers picks up a big stick and clubs her in the head. And she falls to the ground, and before she dies, she sort of looks up in this innocent way, like, why just you just look at on you're just like why why yeah and that was really heartbreaking and even the second time i watched it i was i was just as just as powerfully moved as the first time
1: it's it's such a it's such a statement about the, uh, the the murder the rape and murder of this innocent by these brutes
0: one of the other things that uh, the commentator, again, she's the author of the book, made a point of saying was that uh, Bergman wanted to make sure that every character in the movie had some kind of pathos so, or pathos. So that just basically means that we needed to be able to identify on some level with all the characters. So he he didn't make the villains out to be totally evil. Like Like, I think at first they were thinking of robbing her. And then they sat down and started eating and then she started talking about her life back on the farm and how she was this princess and had a golden crown and it somehow pushed them further and further and further until they ended up raping her and killing her. And what made that scene really hard to re- watch as well was that the 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 younger brother who was probably 12 or 13 years old was a witness to it but was just yeah. as helpless as Karen to, to stop it or do anything about it. And Ingary had also uh, caught up to her at that point and was was watching this happen and, again, was just totally powerless to stop it.
1: I can see why... Uh, I had not seen this movie before, but I can now see why it's been uh, mentioned in other things that I've watched or read for how powerful a scene it is because it's the death of innocence at the hands of these people. I think we should move on Before we both get depressed, it's uh, (laughs) or more more depressed, I guess I should say. Well,
0: the other so that's kind of like the end of the first half of the movie to me. So uh, then we get back to the farm, and oh, go ahead, you're going to say something. Well, I was
1: just going to mention that the the younger the twelve or thirteen year old is so overwhelmed by this, and he feebly tries to. Put some dirt on Karen to you know protect her. he doesn't know what to do, and the two other brothers have further violated her belongings by taking these things yeah they they,
0: they take her clothes off of her body and they yeah. go through all her belongings and throw the candles these sacred candles down on the ground and smash them. Then they take all the stuff and they run off, I guess maybe to get the, the the rest of their belongings and and get all their stuff together. Okay. And the younger brother is left alone with this dead woman, girl, really. And and now it's
1: snowing a bit. <clears throat> but at the time that this was happening in the background, I noticed that her pony, her horse, the innocent horse, was was in the background.
0: Oh, I didn't pick and, up and, on and that. And I don't
1: know if that was intentional, but I think it was. I don't think anything that he did in this film was not intentional that here's the innocent horse and the innocent girl. The innocent girl's being raped and murdered. And yeah, I I don't know what more to say about that. It just caught my eye that this this young horse was there.
0: Yeah. I think it just reinforces the sort of the loss of innocence and the yeah. the, the other innocent people in the film having to witness this happen. Um,
1: so we, we get back to the farm, and the segue is to... Tour, fully dressed in the best Nordic-Swedish outfit I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, all I could
0: think he about He looks was, like a Viking, doesn't he?
1: I, I wonder if my great-great-grandfather had that same kind of outfit. They, they, he lived outside of Gothburg. I think it's Gothburg, Sweden. And I imagine that's maybe how, how he dressed for special occasions.
0: <laughs> it was really, it was really a sight. This is the only part of the movie that I can't, I really can't figure out. Why was he dressed like that? Yeah, why, <laughs> why was he? I don't know. I, I, I don't know the symbolism of that other than, man, he looked, he was really it out. I mean, it was really powerful looking. It was like a Viking warrior standing there with his hands on his hips. Maybe what,
1: Maybe what the director, Bergman, was doing is sort of giving us a preview of what was going to happen in just a few minutes.
0: Do you know those movies in the 80s like like uh, First Blood or uh, there's a bunch of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies like Commando and, and there's other movies like that where there's always a scene in those movies where they're preparing for going to battle or taking revenge and their predator had that things around their waist and they're putting yep. guns in their holsters and they're tying bandanas around their head. And to me, there's a scene like that in this movie where he is, uh, well, we haven't gotten there yet, but man, there's, I, this is the first movie that we've watched. that's the early, earliest example of a, a, a situation where a character goes through these preparations to do what he needs to do next in the film.
1: Well, they they open their doors to this trio of murderers not knowing what the murderers have done. And the whole scene inside that great room after they're welcomed into the farmhouse, I knew something was going to happen. It was just possible not to know that there was going to be trouble down the road. And the three of them looked... So guilty. They looked so guilty to me. That's probably because I'd seen what they'd done. Well, but...
0: especially the little boy. I think he yeah. was the one that felt the most guilt. Yeah. Because they, they get invited into the great room and again, you know, Tour and, and uh, Merida don't know that Karen's killed at this point. They, they they know that she's late and they're kind of wondering where she is. But Did you find that unusual? That
1: here it is in medieval times, and well, she stayed overnight before, so we shouldn't be too worried. I thought that's kind of odd that they wouldn't be more
0: concerned. The mom was was really concerned, but but tour was was not, and oh. and I found that odd. Yeah, I did find that a little bit odd. I wasn't sure how to reconcile that. Um, but we get it, we get to the scene where the three villains, the the two older brothers, and I I, I hesitate to call the younger brother a villain, but. The three of them are invited to eat dinner with the rest of the people that live on the farm there. Before they get started, uh, Merida, the, the mother, says, "Well, we need to say our prayer." And the two older brothers are like, "Yeah, yeah, what? Okay, we'll we'll go along with this, you know, whatever." But the the younger brother, I think, immediately recognizes that this is the same prayer that Karen yes. said before they they broke bread together and and ate some food in that meadow i think he put the pieces together whereas the older brothers were just too stupid to figure it out as they're eating the the young the young boy the young brother throws up again Uh, he had thrown up earlier when he had tried to eat after the rape and killing of karen in that uh meadow the older brothers are sort of apologetic for that and you know he they make some excuse and they sort of finish their meal really quickly and then Frida pulls the younger brother away from the two older brothers and says, You come with me, you need a good night's sleep, you just need to rest and kind of puts him to bed in this straw bed. And everybody sort of leaves the the main hall there, and the two older brothers are continuing to kind of sit at the main table and, and eat some bread and whatnot, and then out of nowhere, like literally His face just appears in the frame. Uh, The beggar starts talking to the the young brother.
2: And
0: tells him a story about... A, a, a vision or a, a nightmare of going into this, f- f- you know, distant land, this purgatory, and falling into this fire, this this huge pyre that has been lit, vet. and he's going into the fire, but just before he gets burned, det. a strong arm reaches in and a strong hand pulls him out.
2: Sist. Ska du stå framför ett berg av Fasa. Det sprutar eld som en ugn Och vid dess fot öppnar sig ett hiskligt svalg Alla slags färger flammar där Koppar och järn Blåvitt rjol och gul svavel. Det blänker, blickströr om lågorna som fräter på klipplock Och runt omkring hoppar människor Små som myror För detta är den ugn som slukar mördare och våldsmander. Men i samma ögonblick som du tror att du är förlorad, ska en hand fatta dig och en arm ska lägga kring dig och du ska föras långt bort där domda inte längre har någon makt över dig.
0: And he's safe and everything's gonna be okay and the young boy is at first sort of terrified by the story, but then seems to be sort of comforted by it. I found that to be really an interesting scene because it sort of foreshadows It does the young boy's journey after death, you know?
1: It also adds to this complexity of the film that the beggar just shows up. Because yeah. I thought they had all gone away. Uh, yeah, it. I love the way it was done, though. I mean, even though it it it's sort of mystical. Well,
0: we we cut we cut to a scene with uh, the mother and father in bed, and she's
1: worried sick about Karen and what's happened. And I think good old Torg falls asleep. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I'm going to sleep. She's asleep. like, you
0: worry too much. She'll, she's fine. We'll 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 you know. I'm sure she just stayed over at the church.
1: And then the mother hears this sound from the great hall. (laughs) And she goes to investigate and she finds that the younger brother, who's also a victim in this, I think, has been hit by the two older brothers. That's what made the sound. The talkative brother then thinks well I've got to make a peace offering so he pulls out Karen's dress, this beautiful dress and offers it to Merida?
0: Merida I think.
1: Merida and she, you could, I watched her and you could tell she was just uh, 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 she couldn't believe what she was seeing but she knew that she had to not react to that or they'd kill her
0: because she immediately recognizes it as Karen's dress, and not only Karen's dress, but it has blood stains on it. Yeah, and the talkative brother tries to sell it to her almost, and and uh, Merida says,
2: "Skall talet med min And om vilken lön som kan anses för en så kostbar
0: well, I I need to talk to my husband about what a just reward would be for such a gift. And I think that had such a double meaning.
1: (laughs) It sure did. And it wasn't very long before they found out what that was.
0: (laughs) So let's see. Uh,
1: She exits the great room and, and that part of the farm and has the presence of mind to put a big lock on the outside of the door. Now, for me, I would have a big lock on the inside of the door to keep out people that are coming by the farm. But yet they have a lock on the outside of the door.
0: That's convenient.
1: It was convenient, and I wonder, you know, do, do they often have people come over that they have to lock up? The only thing I could think of is that maybe they put a lock in there because they had some animals that were in there, and they wanted to keep them in but that one was a little bit hard for me to reconcile, but it was very helpful.
0: I think for I think what you're was probably about to right because at this time the farm animals, like the cows and whatnot, would have lived in the same yeah. building and and even sometimes the same room as the the people. So
1: that's probably why they did that. I I haven't looked anything up on that, but then she she's terrified. She's um,
0: so she goes to she goes into the sleeping chambers where her husband's at and throws the dress down onto his chest
2: may the merita balana <laughs> They merfucupaden the
0: And he wakes up and he looks at the dress. I think and this look of recognition and shock comes over his face and it's not it's not even fifteen seconds before he starts to take action. I mean Yes this this is a man who doesn't like dilly dally, like he knows what he needs to do.
1: And he doesn't have much to say, he just He's been transformed, he's gonna kill them.
0: He he goes outside and he he runs into Ingrid, who's hiding under the steps because I think she's also in shock at this point, and she confesses to
2: Tour that. <laughs> Jag ville det. Ända sedan jag blev med barn och jag hatade henne. Samma dag som jag ba om det. Gjorde han det? Det var han och jag. Inte vallarna. De var besatta av dem. De kastar över henne som jävlar. Alla på en gång. Och det bräckte om skullen. Och det höll henne. Och så tog de det henne. Du det? for She
0: had made a, a prayer to Odin that she wanted something bad to happen to Karen. And it's her fault. And she tried to stop them, but she couldn't. And she feels terrible about it. And I think all he says to her is, you need to get the bath going. I'm going to go get the birch branches. And the, I love, I love, love, love the next scene where he comes up over the crest of a hill and there's one single solitary birch tree up there. And, yeah. you know, that tree was pl- that yeah he attacked he it. Attacks that tree it. was planted specifically for the movie they couldn't find like an actual native area that just had one solitary birch tree but he attacks that thing like nobody's business and he he fells the tree with his bare hands and then he takes his machete out and starts cutting off all the birch branches and then the next scene is him He's hitting himself basically with the birch branches. And I know this is still a thing. Like in Russia, you'll go to a sauna and you'll sort of like hit yourself with these uh, branches. And it's supposed to be really invigorating and really get your like uh, adrenaline going and whatnot.
1: He looked like a statue to me as he was standing there uh, naked in this steam sauna bath.
0: So there's no doubt at this point that he's capable of what he's planning to do, I think. You know, like physically and mentally. And
1: he, and he doesn't he doesn't say much either. He's just he's locked into his mission.
0: This is the scene that reminds me of those movies with uh, like Schwarzenegger and Stallone where they're preparing to go into battle. You know, it's 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 exactly the same thing and the the next scene is him coming out of the bathhouse, and he's got on what looks to me like a butcher butcher's outfit, butcher's apron and butcher pants.
1: I know. It, I was thinking also there's a Mel Gibson movie where he's playing the Scottish warrior, and they're all lined up about to oh, be Braveheart. attacked or to attack, Braveheart. and they're all made up. Braveheart. It reminded me of that because they've all prepared themselves for the inevitable battle, and he's and he, he's ready. Well, besides
0: asking uh, Ingrid to get the bath going, he also tells her that he needs the butcher's knife. That was one hell of a knife. <laughs> it was more of a short sword, really. No kidding. Uh, it had this amazing. He had this amazing carven handle that looked like a, a, goat's head with cloven hooves, and it was very, very, very medieval looking. It was very powerful looking.
1: So he gets himself all ready. He hasn't said ten words. Goes into the great room, sees them all sleeping there, and then he goes and sits at the table in that throne chair. And I love this. He spreads out the stuff that they'd stolen after killing his daughter, and he takes that butcher knife and jams it into the table. (laughs) and he's gonna wait i thought it was
0: interesting he didn't wake them up right away he let them sleep and his wife uh is standing by the door and i think giving her sort of tacit approval to what he's planning to do and he just waits for the rooster to crow and the rooster crows He gets up, grabs the butcher knife slash short sword and goes over and wakes up the, the brothers.
1: And he first attacks the, I think probably the older brother, the oldest brother. And they have a minor skirmish. Ah! but then the camera work on the murder of the older brother was amazing they're fighting and Tor gets him over the chair and kills him and the guy is the, the older brother is looking into the camera as Tor takes that short sword and jabs and it into his heart it's important
0: to know that on the, the tall chair uh, on either side is a carven figure of a saint. <laughs> After Tour k- kills the older brother, who uh, we f- we forgot to mention is mute because he had his tongue cut out. We can only imagine. What precipitated that event Uh, he then goes after the what we think of as the 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 younger brother uh, who is kind of tall and talkative and uh, ends up killing him by throwing him over the the fire while the fire is going and uh, looks like he maybe strangles him and at this point we think he's probably done with his uh, revenge uh, the the young boy, the, the youngest brother, uh, gets out of bed and runs over to uh, Merita uh, for protection, which she does offer him. Uh, Tor is sort of in a, a, a bloodlust at this point and, and just runs over, you know, storms over to Merita and grabs the youngest brother and uh, picks him up over his head, and then dashes him against the wall, uh, killing him, probably from a you know, traumatic head wound. Sort of immediately knows that he's broken whatever code uh, he thought that he was operating under. You can tell that he re- he regrets that he had done that, but it's too late, and Merita just falls on the, the young boy and, and is weeping. Tour goes out into the farmyard, and and he starts marching down the hill toward the forest, and everybody is sort of uh, caught up in his wake and is following him along. And they do end up finding her body, and and, uh, uh, this sends Tour into a, a, a fit where he's cursing god and saying that i don't understand how you could let these two innocents die and not do anything to stop it
2: <coughs> <coughs> do you see the do? you do see it?
0: but that yet in his next breath he says that he will build a church out of stone with his own bare hands they go over to basically pick up karen's body and as they're picking up her body a spring sort of magically appears where her head had been resting and uh ingory you know washes herself in this spring water and it's almost like a baptism uh, like she's she's giving up her her pagan ways and and becoming a christian at that point the last shot in the film is of all of the people that live on the farm they're arranged around the spring it's almost like a painting and then we fade to black and so it's uh again it's a very powerful and, and complex film with a lot of layers you could watch it as just a simple sort of uh, tale of revenge or you could watch it as a commentary on uh, this transition period in sweden where the christian ideals were vying for supremacy with the old nordic uh, ideals of again i ended up writing about a six-page uh, summary of the film and that will be on the website and you're, happy, you know, you're welcome to read that. And uh, if you do get a chance to watch this film, I encourage you to watch the uh, Criterion Collection uh, DVD. I'm not sure if it's on Blu-ray, uh, but the audio commentary is, is excellent and I would encourage you to listen to that as well. Um, unfortunately, Bob had to step out, uh, but uh, I'm going to wrap it up here. Next week it is uh, The Professionals. Uh, we're going to be going from medieval Sweden to the Old West. Uh, but I think it is uh, kind of in the genre of a revenge film, though. <laughs> so I guess we'll find out. I haven't watched it, and uh, we'll, I'm looking forward to it. So uh, until next week, have a great week of movie watching. If you get a chance, leave us some comments on our website or in iTunes. And again, Bob and I love to get those. So until next week.
1: I could understand some of the Swedish language. I have no idea why.
0: There's a scene where he says a sentence, and it's totally English. Like, you don't even need the subtitles to understand it. Yes. And every now and then you'd pick up a word that was in English. So there's definitely some English words in the Swedish language.
1: I think partly it may just be the Swedish DNA I have in my wiring even like the
0: word for daughter i think it was doter d o t t e r yeah yeah and when they said it i was like oh yeah i can hear it. i can hear that that makes sense that's it. you know i i
1: this movie is terrific i don't know if his other movies are like this because i've never watched any of his movies <clears throat> but this one is just amazing
0: the only other one i've seen i've seen um the seventh seal and I've seen Wild Strawberries, but I haven't. I, I now I'm wanting to go and just watch all of his movies, like just from the start.
1: I can see why so many directors, like Woody Allen and I think uh, Martin Scorsese, say he was an excellent director. Um, the thing I liked about it, and we can talk about it as we're doing the recording, but it's both simple in terms of how it's produced and really complex in terms of the different levels of the story. You know, when they're riding their horses and you see that beautiful countryside, it's very very simple, very you know, it's not there's not a lot of high level production going on.
0: No, it's it's uh I totally agree. It's both simple, like you could describe the movie in in one sentence, but then it's really deep when you start looking at all the Yeah the uh interaction with the characters and he he's a really good director at showing and and not telling you know it's like the looks of the characters the looks that they give the camera or each other or the way he set up the scene like at the end when she was being attacked there were these you know she was tangled up in all the branches and right she, he filmed her behind like a fallen tree so it looked like she was trapped and caged in and you you don't have to say anything you just it it just expresses itself as she's sort of this trapped caged animal so it was really well done and i loved i loved it when they when the they cut to the scene where uh he's he's in his full like viking uniform i know
1: i i want one of those (laughs) i want i want that whole headgear uh everything i that would be perfect. I could go out into the uh, <laughs> inner
0: city of
1: Los Angeles. You
0: would, nobody would nobody would even bat an eye. There would be no questions no. asked. I could go to the Hollywood Bowl dressed like that to stay warm. People I mean, if people say, can, look at that guy. if people can walk around naked, you know, down on Hollywood Boulevard, why not a Viking outfit?